This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome to Thursday morning. Was it cold? I can't remember if it was cold or not this morning. I didn't, didn't actually sort of take, uh, uh, pay too much attention. We had a bit of rain yesterday. I got halfway through doing something. I suddenly realised I'd run out of, um, out of kitchen towel. I had to rush out and go and get kitchen towel. Ridiculous. The British Medical Association want to make it illegal to sell cigarettes to anybody born after the year 2000. The singing nun, not the singing nun from years ago, older people will remember Dominique, fake whitening kits... Oh, yes, I mean, how many, this, this nun, I think she's been on the version of The Voice. I watched the Australian one, and they had Ronan Keating on there. Didn't come over very well at all, actually, which I was a bit disappointed about. All of that and more this morning on LBC. Which is very nice, isn't it? And then, of course, the X Factor musical opened last night. I mean, to be honest with you, I was surprised anybody went to it. Everybody was listening and watching the big debate on LBC, which went down very well. I think at one point the site crashed, which is always a very good indication. It's bad, actually, but it's a good indication of how many people are trying to access it at the same time. So uh, so there was that on last night. Everybody uh, counted for themselves very well, I thought. Very well indeed. Papers are full of it today. And uh, over at the Palladium, Sunita looked like a reject from um, Buzz Lightyear or something like that. No, what was that other programme? It had um, Sam Watson in it and it had... Um, oh, I can't remember now. Um, it was set in the future and they had winged... No, not the Jetsons. No, it was a proper a proper thing with Sam. I can't remember the actor. Sam, somebody in it. And he played this blonde character. And they had Brian Blessed in it. Brian Blessed was in. And that Ming the Merciless was in it. Wait a minute, we're going to find out. We can't, I can't remember what it's called. Actually, but, but she looked like one of the characters from that. Flash Gordon. Whoa! Running on the universe. Uh, which is great. Um, so much to lose. Mario Falcone and uh, everybody's favourite grandmother, Chloe Sims, uh, have called time on their secret romance. Which is a bit funny, actually, because they've conducted it in the full glare of the camera. So, obviously not so secret. And, of course, we have to drag out poor little Bobby Cole Norris again. And so Bobby Cole Norris, you know, the only one in there who you really think should be just dropped from the end of South End Pier from a great height. Because it's just an embarrassment, I'm afraid. Lauren Poppy... Apparently, she sort of she hasn't spoken to Chloe since finding out about the relationship. You want to watch the programme, love? They've been carrying on for the last two weeks. Don't you watch the programme? God, love, you can't be that thick, surely. But uh, little old Mario then comes round to talk to Chloe, as I say, the world's oldest grandmother in the show, really well past her sell-by from about 500 years ago. Sarah Harding uh, is, uh, is in the recording studio. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. She, she thinks she's got a career in the music business. And so, luckily, there was a photographer outside when she came outside to have a break on her telephone. That was lucky, wasn't it? There was a pho- photographer waiting outside the back door. Oh, blimey. Nearly missed that one, old Harding, didn't you? But anyway, she was uh, wearing an oversized denim jacket. It could have been a Victoria Beckham outfit. It's a bit difficult to tell nowadays. Most of Victoria Beckham's outfits are, in fact, way, way too big. And, um, what else? Oh, we even had, um, Sam for ears... And uh, turned out for an Everyday Heroes event in London, because that's all they get nowadays. They just get, they just get charity events. Uh, unfortunately, Little Miss Piggy Eyes uh, was here at the, the Lancaster Hotel. I've done the Lancaster Hotel. It's quite nice. Very nice indeed. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, you just don't look interesting enough, I'm afraid. Don't look interesting enough. But she was there and obviously doing her sort of little bit. Oh, look. Guests include Tess Daly. Oh, how lovely. Oh, Toss Daly turned up with uh, one of this year's finalists. He looks frightened. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. 
you know, that's what you want nowadays, isn't it? And, uh, and what else? Oh, Chris Hollins's uh, wife is pregnant. I don't know why that should be of any interest to anybody at all. Not of any interest to me, actually. He's the he's the one who does sport on the, the television. He's, he's OK, actually. I don't have too many problems with him. I don't think so. What else do I have problems with? I don't have problems with anything at the, at the moment. Apart from going through the papers and, and trying to find uh, something that was, you know, really down on the X Factor musical. Well, I say the X Factor musical. It's not. They've, they've twisted it and tweaked it and done little bits. Uh, will it work? We'll have to wait and find out. We'll have to wait and find out. It's going to be interesting to see if a musical can survive. The Palladium's a big place to fill. Nigel Harmon will put bums on seats because... And it's quite camp. So I think if you... It, it'll probably attract the sort of people who would who would want to watch Eurovision or something like that. And because it takes the mickey out of Cheryl Cole, it's they, they've got some girl on there with an enormous bottom. And uh, she calls everybody pet. You know, and, and everybody... Oh, I just want to treat you like a sister. She says to uh, to all the contestants in it, which of course is exactly what Cheryl Cole does. She's like a little gramophone record. Louis Walsh comes over as a doddery old man, so there's no typecasting there. And unfortunately, poor old Dermot O'Dreary comes over as somebody who so wants to be in touch with the audience, but is so aloof to them, and he's so snooty. And even Louis Walsh picked up and he said the bloke who plays him has got him off to a tee, which obviously isn't a very good, a very good thing because Dermot O'Dreary couldn't turn up. Obviously busy painting his fingernails as well as doing so. I don't know what, you know, what reason. For something like that, when Simon calls the shots, it's a case of, where are you, Cheryl? Uh, I'm in the recording studio. No, you're not. No, you're not, dear. You just couldn't be bothered to go because you knew people would be laughing at you. And that's what we do, pet. We laugh at you. And poor old Dermot O'Dreary, because he takes himself so seriously. And that's why the, the cameo in this is very good. And apparently the guy who, who plays him has got him off to a tee. Even Quentin Letts said that. He said it's got the mannerisms and everything. <laughs> Hilarious. Love stuff like that. 84850, steve at uk, And uh, I did read a very funny interview. It was in Hello Magazine. I was sitting on the train yesterday, as I'm prone to doing, in first class. And uh, in Hello Magazine, bearing her soul as she goes solo, Sarah Harding, the former Girls Aloud singer, talks domestic bliss babies and why Cheryl's got the X Factor. And uh, she talks about her uh, gig... That's the one she did the other day, and uh, she's... Uh, I'm looking forward to doing some stuff on my own. And she talks about Kensington Palace. She says here, it's such a beautiful venue, and the show was for such a great cause. She's performing in a little tiny room with a little, you know, a little tiny stage. There's just about room for her and a bottle of water and a backing singer. It's, it's as small as that. But she talks about it like it's some major event where royalty turn up. They didn't. They didn't. And then they had the farewell tour. I remember reading somewhere on the farewell tour, I don't think they all got on very well, did they? They just couldn't wait for the thing to be over. They'd committed themselves to doing it. And that's it. Uh, did anybody turn up to Sarah Harding's gig? I don't think so. I don't think so. But she says, I'm used to sharing the stage with four other girls. Darling, get over it. It was ages ago now. It's finished. It's done and dusted, OK? Finished. Do you have a solo career? I shouldn't think so. She talks about her influences, Whitney Houston, Madonna, Michael Jackson, Beyonce and Emily, uh, Emily Sande for her relaxing sound. This is Sarah Harding. You'd think you were talking about a singer, wouldn't you, really? I did, uh, I did go to YouTube just to find out whether or not we were talking about the same person. And, uh, yes, we were. And then I discovered some other things. She's, uh, she's so obviously into... Perhaps she thinks she's some celebrity. That's what worries me. Because she put her house on through the keyhole with the dreadful Keith Lemon. It was a ghastly programme. You know, I don't know why ITV are bothering with Keith Lemon. It's a thin, one-trick pony and a very shallow act. It just doesn't work for me at all. So she's on there with... And, they had, of course, they had to put the person's name up underneath. Because if they just put her on there, nobody would know who she was. they go, oh, that... Who is she? I don't know. 
She's in the papers a lot, uh, mainly because that's all it is. It's a lot of posturing, very little action. Very little action. So she lives out in Buckinghamshire with her boyfriend of 18 months. I don't know whether she owns the place or rents it, but they're going, oh, she's got a recording studio in it. Well, for a recording studio, you might as well just put an iPad down. That can be a recording studio. You can put a, a recording studio onto an iPad now, and you can download and do all the mixing and everything else. But Sarah Harding is obviously living in this sort of quasi-strange world where she's believed the publicity. She was interviewed by um, Lorraine, who did her on the television and sort of did a little montage, which was quite sweet. And then it cut to Sarah Harding, who I seriously thought she was about five. It turns out she's 32. 31, 32. I was just slightly worried that she comes over as a little bit remedial, you know, a little bit twittery. A little bit twittery. You know, you feel like saying, settle down, dear, settle down. OK, we know you've done your makeup properly, but uh, you're never going to hit the charts. Not any time soon. It's very sweet of you to bring out an album, but I suspect it'll be a bit like Jerry Halliwell. Bring it out. How many copies does she sell? Was it something like 65 copies? Which I thought was a little bit harsh. I mean, the producer could have bought one and made it 66, you know, make it more interesting. It's terrible, isn't it? Whenever they don't sell. But there again, I always think if a record company is risked you know, signing somebody up, and if they've decided to put money into it, then fair enough. But it comes down to you, the British public, and no matter how many times they do programmes, unless they do the right programmes, will they have any impact at all? I could single-handedly sell albums on my In Conversation programmes and on this one. You know, I don't think, because I don't think there's an audience for breakfast television anymore, I think it's disappeared. I think it's had its day. I think they would be better off playing cartoons out in the morning. Mums would find it far more entertaining. Who cares whether you've got overpaid presenters sitting there pontificating about the day's news when you know they're just doing it for a fee? You're watching that fire on the television. Yeah, this was the one in America where the bloke drops down from an upper balcony. The fire crew are very slow getting the ladder over to him. And in the end, he actually sort of leans forward and grabs it, because the, the bloke who's on the ladder, the fireman, is going to them, move it forward! And, of course, they're so slow and so dim over there. Anyway, eventually, he pulls, he leans forward, and he pulls a bit of the, the ladder so it can get to him, and then he climbs onto it. He wasn't, he wasn't helped onto it, he did it all by himself. But he gets on there, they swing the ladder out, they had the presence of mind to do it, and then the top floor of the building collapses which is the funny bit, and they're filming it. This film, which they're showing on the television, look, what there it goes. But luckily, they've, sw- they've had the presence of mind to swing the ladder away with this bloke and the fireman on it. Nobody was hurt in this. Nobody was hurt in this thing at all. But the filming was done by a couple in their flat over the road, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, because this bloke drops down from one of the balconies. Who knows? The entire building could have collapsed. You've probably seen that as well on the telly. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. Quite, quite amazing. Uh, still to come, cheaper energy bills for everybody. And, uh, and the pilot's suicide joyride. Now they think, here we go, they found about 120 pieces. Is it the missing plane or is it not? And out in the cold play, as I think I heard somebody saying to Ollie Mann earlier on, who cares? Who gives us stuff when a Gwyneth Paltrow and her, uh, and her boyfriend have split up? She apparently grew close to five male friends. He slept in the flat of a bandmate. I think it all came down to the fact he wanted to live in London and she wanted to live in America. It's, a, it's just two people who've had a relationship and it's gone pear-shaped. We knew it had gone pear-shaped about a year ago, I think. And so they, they've tried to make it work and they can't. So why don't we just leave them alone? It's their business. It's nothing nothing to do with us at all, is it, really? I don't think so. Uh, LBC, it's 4.15.
Morning, everybody. Nick Ferrari and the team. Fresh from the historic LBC debate. Actually, of course, it's very apropos because it's called Clegg as well. It's called Clegg again, which is fantastic. So that'll be very interesting. Actually, it's a heck of a lineup today with Nick Ferrari as they'll be taking your calls. Uh, he'll be getting reaction from key political commentators and, uh, and getting reports from across the country and Berlin. Looking at the papers today, Michael Portillo, the journalist, broadcaster and former Conservative Party politician. Tom Swarbrick is out in Berlin. Uh, we've got somebody in Sheffield, somebody in uh, Arun. Paddy Ashdown will be joining. Paul Oakley, the UKIP Euro candidate for London. And also Paul Clegg. Oh, and Esther McVeigh as well. Quite a line-up today. My goodness me. So, Nick of the same. Thank goodness it wasn't one of those things that went on, you know, too long. It finished after the hour. And I think it's made history. I think it's made history. Uh, can't wait to see Steve. I can't sing, says Angela. And uh, we're part of your 4am spike. So there you go. And you will enjoy it, actually. Did you see James Argent's naked selfie on Twitter? Damn, horrible thought. How vile could that be? Uh, and as for Celebrity Juice, I'm glad you hate it as much as me. I just thought I just didn't get it. But no, it is just trash, I'm afraid. It's, uh, it's just terribly, terribly boring, I'm afraid. It's also, it's that same lame Keith Lemon. It's the, it's the one-trick pony. Doesn't really get a very big audience. It's not really of, uh, of any interest. But I think it was last night, if, I, if I'd wanted to, I had an invite to I Can't Sing at the Palladium. Uh, because they invite lots of people. And I just can't do anything during the week. As you know, we've got a, a bit, of, bit of a bash going on this week to, uh, to celebrate the old birthday. So we've got about 150 people. Don't know why I've sprung drinks for everybody, but uh, that's, that's what you have to do in this day and age. They said to me, how much money do you think you're going to be putting behind the bar? And you know, we thought about it. And I thought about it for about a minute. And so I, I came up with, with a figure. and uh, Because we've, we've got food and stuff like that, nibbles. And, and I thought... How much money do you put behind the bar? I don't know how much people put behind the bar for a wedding. I don't know what would be considered normal. 250 quid? 500 pound? 1,000 pounds? I don't know. And so I mentioned this figure, and somebody here said, you're not serious. You're not serious putting that much behind the bar. I said, oh, sorry, no, 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 not, not putting enough money behind the bar. And I said, oh, so I've doubled it. So it's now two pounds. And I've thought, you know, because I don't know. Do you allow people to have spirits? Do you allow to have, you know, people, people actually, you know, drinking champagne? No. So it's beer, wine and soft drinks. Because I think most people can get by, can't they, on something like that. And so we've invited, I'm hoping not everybody turns up. We've had, we've had yeses from, from over 150, but I'm hoping people don't turn up. That way the, the bar money goes a little bit further. 84850, uh, Everything is woven in on the programme. We put everything on, every tweet, every text, every, every single thing. Uh, when it comes to uh, reviewing of theatres, uh, we couldn't really review I Can't Sing the other week because it was still in preview. You can get into a lot of trouble. I remember the late Jack Tinker actually reviewed um, one particular show and gave it a bad review. And they, I think, I won't tell you who it is, but they came down heavy on the newspaper and said, you'll send him back to do a proper review when it opens properly. And they did. And, they, and it was a completely different review from being the world's worst thing he'd ever seen. It turned out to be, oh, this is brilliant. It's wonderful. Uh, I'm an early riser, says May. And uh, I'm doing transferable skills in finding a job. 14 weeks unemployed. There's always a job for somebody. It just depends whether you can survive on what they offer and what they offer. Uh, Dermot O'Dreary says John was a guest on the overstaffed one show last night. 
Oh, well, he could have gone. That finishes in plenty of time, doesn't it? Plenty of time for him to go along and, uh, and do so. What was he plugging? Has he got anything to plug? I didn't think he had anything, poor little soul, honestly. But, uh, he gets ripped apart. Louis Walsh wrote this fantastic article in the paper the other week, and, uh, saying it's got him off to a tea, smug, spoilt, all that. And I thought, oh dear, old Dermot will not be liking that. But there you go, truth sometimes hurts. Uh, the sun on the front page this morning, out in the cold place. Let's leave them to one side, I couldn't care less. I really couldn't care less about dreary old Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm not interested. And they've got pages of it. Pages of it. Inside the wacky world of the fad mad actress. Who cares? Gwyneth who? Gwyneth who? Nobody's interested. And then they've got Team Chris and Team Gwyneth. Who cares? Oh, lummy. Uh, David Beckham and his class of 92 Man United teammates are poised to front a multi-billion pound takeover of the club. And the people there, Phil Neville, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, Nicky Butt, David Beckham and Gary Neville. You get both the, both the Nevilles, don't you? And uh, who's worth the most? Old Davy Boy Beckham. He's not a footballer now. He's just, he's, uh, he's an advertising hoarding. You just rent David's body and uh, for, for the right fee, he'll promote anything you want. You couldn't care, that's what it is. He's worth about £165 million. Apparently, uh, Victoria's fashion range increased turnover to £15.4 million in 2012, which means that a failed singer in Girls, in, um, in The Spice Girls, actually did better than uh, Lorraine Scott and her failed fashion business. But in the will, she's left everything to Mick. Worth about £9 million, the estate. Now, whether or not her crashed fashion company have to be bailed out by what she's left in a will, I don't know. I don't know how it works over there. They appear to have different laws around the world. And so she's crashed with £6 million. Whether that was the reason for taking her life, I don't know. Seems a bit dramatic, doesn't it? Because if she had £9 million tied up in stocks and in a flat and things like that, then she could have bailed her own company out. People tend not to do that, though. And she seemed to take the odd option. It was a very odd option. Talking of odd options, there's all sorts of strange stories in the in the papers today. Oh, including the uh, the fact that uh, Tony Benn's coffin had a single red rose. It's arrived at Westminster for ahead of the uh, the funeral. And then you have to feel sorry for this poor barman. Uh, his name's Jordan Donnellan. Jordan Donnellan... Uh, correctly predicted 14 football results. 14 football results, which, I mean, in itself is, is nothing short of a miracle. And he thought he'd won a million pounds until he discovered he'd filled in the wrong betting slip. Oh, God. Jordan celebrated before rushing to Ladbrokes where staff spotted his blunder. He used a weekend result rush where both teams must score instead of, of a weekend quick slip. Jordan says, I genuinely believed I'd won. He would have done if he'd put it on the right slip, but it was on the wrong slip, pal. Very bad indeed. Very bad. Never mind, it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. Well, it does, really. Uh, I listen to your podcast every day, walking in Florida. Thank you. Well, that's all we need. Listen, I mean, you're in Florida, cheap housing, isn't it? But the trouble is that the only thing wrong with Florida, full of Brits. Absolutely full of Brits. They're all on a bit of a downer down here this morning. All round here, they're on a bit of a downer, because they've had sugar. And so they've had quite a bit of sugar. Judging by the empty sweet wrappers in the studio, they practically guzzle down an entire shop in here. And so they go high as kites, and then they come, they come crashing down. At the moment, they're in the process of crashing down. So it's, they, they, they're both, they've both gone very quiet and very sort of, like, sort of lethargic. It's like, you know, shall we do anything? Let's not bother. Let's kind of leave it till tomorrow. Let's just close our eyes and drift away. That's what they want to do. I mean, they're barely, they're barely staying upright. It's an embarrassment, actually. I mean, I, I can give them a few years and I'm still going. I dreamt last night 
I, dre- I did remember to turn the heating off before I went to bed. I dreamt last night that I bought this flat next to the Adelphi. And and I dreamt that I'd, there were four flats there, and I dreamt I'd bought three of them and had them all interconnected. I'm having this dream quite a lot recently, which means either there is money around the corner and I'm going to win the lottery, which I think is uh, it's a bit... A friend of mine keeps saying to me, he said, listen, you're not going to win the lottery. I said, but you don't know, you might. He said, no, you're not. That's so why I said, how do you know? And he said, I'm telling you, you won't win the lottery. I said, but somebody wins it. It could be me. He said, but it isn't. He said, and it hasn't been since it started. He said, why don't you, every week, you know, when you do your 50 quid's worth of tickets or 100 or what, 500, whatever it happens to be, you know, give the money to me and I'll give you half back and then your quid's in. And I went, yeah, how would that work? And he said, well, then it means that you haven't lost anything. I said, yeah, but I might win on the lottery. He said, you won't. You're just not going to win on the lottery. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. I said, well, I might. 84850, steve at uk, And then somebody says, Keith Lemon. You must learn to spell, honestly. There's nothing worse than people who can't spell. It shows a very infantile mind. He's a top man. People love him. No, they don't. That's the trouble. If they did, he'd be uh, doing mainstream ITV, but he ain't, I'm afraid. And uh, Peter in Broccoli says, I saw the front page of last night's standard. Prince Charles saying they should build more housing in London for young people. Has he got a few spare rooms in the palace? Well, it's not his, is it? It's mummy's. And I don't think she owns it. She can't sell it. He has, uh, I think, I'm not sure if he's got apartments in Kensington Palace, but he's got the Queen Mum's old place, Clarence House, and he's got St James's Palace in London. And by the way, I think Farage was far better than Clegg in last night's LBC debate. Well, that's what they're asking on the LBC website. Who did you think came over best? And Nick will be asking that question this morning. Who actually do you think won in the debate? Very historic, very historic, and very interesting. I think every uh, very pleased with the way things turned out. More on flight MH370. The reason it's it's in the paper is because they've now appeared to have found 122 pieces of debris in the sea, indicating that the thing. I mean, it seems to have smashed up fairly quickly, doesn't it? 122 pieces of debris. I mean, was that an explosion? Did the pilot do a suicide mission and just take it down? In which case, why didn't the co-pilot do something about it or was he unconscious who knows that that bit i suppose we won't know until we find bits of the plane will we find you know people down there is there still a bit of the fuselage i mean i'm reliably reliably informed that there would be some bits that would stay intact whether or not there's people in there and also all the stuff that would come out they should have found loads of bits but uh, now they found it they've said here 122 objects so this is 18 days after this jetliner vanished. It's all very interesting, isn't it? We have to we have to wait and find out later on today. I hope it's not another one of these uh, things where they go, well, you know, we thought that we were going to find it, but unfortunately this turns out to have been something else. Coming up, uh, revealed that we feed our pets too much, which is leading to more and more obese cats and dogs. And I think Ollie Mann was as guilty as the next person, uh, because we do overfeed our pets. So we'll talk about that in a moment. LBC News Time, it's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Very interesting. Max Clifford uh, in court at the moment, but he mentioned a lady who most of you won't have heard of, but if you've heard of an actress called Dinah Dawes, you will know what she was famous for. Now, I'll tell you the story of Dinah Dawes. Dinah Dawes was a British bombshell. She was blonde, she was big, she was busty, she was everywhere. And uh, she, was our, she was our girl, Dinah Dawes. She was down to earth. She uh, married a, an actor. They had a son. I think they had two sons. Jason was one of her sons. And uh, when Dinah Dawes died, she died of cancer. 
and I've told this story before, uh, that she died in the Charing Cross Hospital, which is down in Hammersmith, in the private ward at the top, because uh, I went past her. A friend of mine luckily had Booper, and so was in the same private ward. You could walk round the outside, and I remember looking in a window, because the door was sort of open, looking in the door thing, and Dinah Dawes was in bed, and I thought, if I'd been a paparazzi, I could have taken a picture of Dinah Dawes in bed. Anyway, uh, she had a, a very successful career. It was all busty and pouty and, and wonderful, and people just fell in love with Dinah Dawes. And then she put on a whole load of weight, and she got really, really fat and bloated. She turns up in the amazing Mr Blunden, in her sort of slightly fatter years, to put it politely. And um, and then the, the acting work started drying up, so she became an agony aunt on TVAM, and she would turn up there, and sometimes they, there's some outtakes of her absolutely collapsing in laughter at some of the things that people had written into her, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny anyway. And so uh, that, that was Diana Dawes. And the reason I mention her is because she's been mentioned... Uh, Max Clifford said he used to go to sex parties at her house. Now, it was well known that in their house, which I think was out in Gerard's Cross, uh, they had a two-way mirror. And when they had parties, couples would sort of pair off and go to the bedroom, and everybody else would sit down as if it was a cinema and watch the antics going on through the through the double mirror. They used to have all sorts of naughtiness going on there, because I think Diana Dawes was a bit of a naughty person. Uh, suffice it to say... The sex parties are no more because Diana Dawes died. Her husband uh, shot himself in the house and uh, the kids went elsewhere. One was in America and Jason then went over to America to stay with his, I think, half-brother. Anyway, it didn't work out, so Jason came back to this country. But there was a book written about Diana Dawes and he came in to talk to me about it. He was only young. He was very young and he said he went back to the house because Dinah Dawes was broke. She had no money, but like a lot of people in those days, the bank were very generous and they allowed her to keep the house and the Rolls Royce. So she kept up the image. The bank were funding it in the hope that somebody would see her acting like that and they would then give her more work, which, of course, they did. She ended up with with a bit more work. Anyway, years later, the house was sold after Diana and her husband died and Jason went back to it. And he said that the, the strange thing was, he said, I grew up in this house. And everything was exactly as Mum had left it. He said the ornaments were still there. He said in the pool room, our swimming costumes were still hanging up. In the pool he said it was really eerie and really bizarre. And we had a really, really good chat. I, I, felt, I felt for him because he'd sort of, he'd been through this very public tragedy because she was so famous. But the sex parties was the interesting thing, because people had talked to me about the sex parties that went on there. And you think, no, no, they can't. It was that famous one that was written about by David Niven in The Moon's a Balloon, where uh, they were known for having sex parties in Hollywood. And uh, this this businessman was pestering them and pestering said to David Niven, Go on, get me an invite to one of these parties. And David went, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. And uh, said, come on, come on. He said, well, all right. He said, Friday, this address. And so on the Friday, the businessman turns up, this huge mansion, knocks on the door, bing bong, and a maid opens the door, stark naked. Stark naked. He thinks, on a winner here. And so she goes, good evening, sir. Take your invite. So she takes the invite. She takes him into a, a little ante room just off the main hall, and she says, you can get undressed here, and I shall take you into the party. And so, of course, he's really excited by this. He thinks this is fantastic. And so he takes all his clothes off, puts them in a bag, and says, follow me, sir. And so he follows her, and she swings open these two big double doors, and there's 150 people, fully dressed, staring at him. 
I so want to do that round here. I so want to do that tomorrow. Can I come to one of your sex parties? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine the humiliation of, um... Right. Uh, thank you. I'm going now. It did happen. I'm sure it happened in Hollywood. I'm sure it is. Uh, I'm sure all these things go off. Um, I'm going to uh, a residential property auction today at the Cumberland Hotel at Marble Arch. Uh, note to self, do not raise hand to a lot that has a starting price of 5.2 million, says David, because he's part of the 4am spite. I love watching those those auctions on the television where, you know, there was one the other day and I never saw the end of it. It was up in Liverpool. The house guide price was ten to 15,000. Even when it was done up, it was only going to get 25 to 30 grand for a house. 25 to... Th- God, I could buy one a month. 25 to 30,000 pounds for a house. But the guide price was... And the reason the guide price was so low on this mid-terrace house, which years ago would have gone for, I don't know, 120 pounds when they were first built, if that. If that. I think my parents' first house cost 600 quid, and then they sold their last house at 24,500. They had a house in, in Knightsbridge. Well, it was a muse place in Knightsbridge, but luckily they didn't own that. Otherwise, otherwise I would not be sitting here now. I'd be in the lap of luxury, ladies and gentlemen. And so, um, so they had this house. The thing that was the matter with it was it was falling apart. The front, the bricks had come separated. It was bowing outwards. And I never saw the end. But somebody, I think, paid about 12 grand for it. And you think to yourself, you could really do a lot. Because people had those houses. You had the front parlour. Then you had the back parlour. And then you went through to the kitchen. And then the, the outside loo. And it was one of those. It was one of those houses. It, it, he took his mum in. I got as far as that. And she burst into tears. Because obviously people remember those. People remember those sort of houses. That's how people lived. If you go down to um, Waterloo Station, there's a very famous road down there. A very famous road where it has not changed since the 50s. It looks like it could be taken straight out of the craze film. Because the, the end of their road has gone completely. The end of their road. Although there are pictures in the paper today of the craze. Unseen pictures. Unseen pictures. More curvaceous than your pal Barbara Windsor, Steve, but not as clever. Yes, I think Barbara was very... Actually, Barbara's picture in the paper today. I think she sent a photo to uh, to Ronnie Cray. Uh, Farage easily won. To win a debate, you need to do more than quote government rhetoric and preen at a TV camera. Um... Yeah, but it, it is likability. It comes down to likability, doesn't it? It depends whether you believe what Farage is saying or you believe what Clegg is saying. You can talk to Clegg today. You can question him about, you know, how he came over. Because I think we're going to see more and more of these debates. It's the only way. And they, I mean, they, they have tried them in America. And very famous politicians have fallen apart because they just don't have the answer. We've seen some right bozos in the White House who haven't got the faintest idea. When my brother got married, says Maureen, in Walton, mercifully no water at the moment. Uh, he was a police officer at the time. They had a free bar, and people who usually drank half a bitter were drinking brandy and champagne. Needless to say, they were mostly police officers. <laughs> yes, that's the only thing that worries me about this free bar. I mean, it's, it's going to be free. I'm going to put money behind it, quite clearly. And um, and then people have said... Actually, not, not everybody expects a free bar nowadays. You don't go to somebody's birthday party and have free drinks. Normally, you sort of take a bottle... I went to a party once years and years ago, and it was it was take a bottle. And it was at a friend's of mine's house. So I turned up with a bottle, and we're all sort of in the garden and everything else. And this bloke walks in off the street. He goes in, he picks up a bottle off the table, and he walks out again. And somebody said, who's that? And we went, no idea. I went, oi, bring it back, pal. Watch it around Twickenham Richmond Way at the moment, and Walton and Sunbury, because let's just call them... People who might travel are selling uh, tobacco at the moment. They're going round to various shops. I want to buy some tobacco. 
uh, or knives. They're selling tobacco or knives. So uh, just be warned that the tobacco could kill, probably. You don't, uh, you don't want to risk buying anything like that off somebody in the street. You really don't. Uh, 84850, uh Front page of The Express this morning. The hottest summer ever is on the way. Oh, God, how awful. I don't like that idea. I don't want to sit here, come in here. I don't mind leaving when it's a bit warm. Yesterday it was freezing cold. Freezing cold. Amanda Dazzles at the X Factor musical. What on earth Sunita was wearing? I mean, she did look like an extra from Flash Gordon. Saviour of the universe. Millions of households could see their energy bills slashed after a top supplier froze charges yesterday. Who else was there? Mylene Class, Ronnie Corbett. That's good, isn't it? We were a little bit worried about Ronnie Corbett. Uh, Harry Hill, of course. Lovely Harry Hill. And, um... Uh, Louis Walsh and Sunita in this bizarre outfit. I mean, it's quite eye-catching. It really is quite eye-catching. And uh, then at the after-show party, I'm told, Rylan. For what reason? For what reason? It's like, should we invite somebody really stupid? Oh, let's invite Rylan. And here is the uh, the big debate. Farage bashes Clegg in the live debate, which is very interesting. And it looks at how much uh, Nicholas William, Peter Clegg, earns. £134,000, and how much Nigel Farage gets? 76284 His parents, his father, who called Guy Justice Oscar Farage, uh, is a stockbroker, or was a stockbroker. Uh, family German wife, Kirsten Mayer, has two daughters, two sons from first marriage. Uh, Dulwich College didn't go to university. Uh, education for uh, Mr Clegg. Nick Clegg is Westminster School, Cambridge University. University of Minnesota, College of Europe in Bruges. He's got a Spanish wife, Miriam Gondalet Duantez. And they have uh, three sons, Antonio, Alberto and Miguel. <laughs> That's quite funny, actually. I never thought of him having sons. I don't know why. It never crossed my mind before. And who did they think won? Farage. They thought Farage. I wonder what you think. Go to the LBC website and you can, you can, uh, you can vote on who you think actually won the debate. So far, it seems to be Farage. Might all change this morning with, with Nick Ferrari on LBC from just after the news at 7 o'clock. 84850, steve at uk. I've got a, a gadget competition for you today. Of course I've got a gadget competition. I've got a gadget competition for you every day. Uh, yesterday, Kathleen Duggan was our winner from Woodford Green. And she knew that Jade Goody first appeared on Big Brother. And she got herself the touchscreen laptop. Well done, Kathleen. I'll take you home, Kathleen. Uh, today, what have I got for you? You'll have to wait and find out. I've decided I'm going to I'm going to save the excitement, save the excitement of what we have on offer for you today. And coming up, we reveal your top ten superstitions. It's quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. There you go. Thirteen minutes to five. It's nice to have your company. Eight four eight five zero. Steve at lbc.co.uk. So Kathleen from Woodford Green. I won't sing the song again, Kathleen. But you did get the touchscreen laptop. So well done today. On offer the Apple iPad Mini with Retina display. The Apple iPad Mini with Retina display. And all you have to do is answer this question correctly. So think about it. Don't get the don't get it wrong. You don't want to waste anything, do you? On which on which reality TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? On which reality TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? Text the word gadget, followed by your answer, and send it to eight four eight five zero before six thirty this morning. So, on which TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? Text the word gadget, 
followed by your answer, and send it to 84850 before 6.30 this morning. The text costs pound fifty plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Full terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. And good luck. Good luck, because that's uh, it's a nice one, the Apple iPad Mini, with the Retina display. Woo! Fantastic. Uh, Kevin the Milkman. He says, uh, I went to one of those parties where you put your keys in a bowl. I went home with a Cortina. It's an old one. Yes, I know. I went home with a fridge freezer. And my favourite Diana Dawes appearance was in the Sweeney, my favourite episode of the programme. Yeah, I liked it. I never met her. I never met her. Always wanted to meet her. She'd have been a very good interview. Very good interview, I, I thought, actually. I loved her in The Amazing Mr Blunden. Sue from Surrey says, don't forget the Daily Express also told us we were going to have the worst winter. Oh, yes, they've all predicted it, haven't they? Did anybody predict the floods? I don't think anybody predicted the flood. Certainly not down in Walton, did they? Certainly not down in Walton. I see that Britain's justice system has been branded feeble again. That's a surprise. Uh, after a serial crook escaped jail for carrying out a carbon copy fuel raid. This is the immensely thick and dim Timothy Cross. He first gained notoriety... No- notoriety? <laughs> Where are we coming from here? Uh, notoriety. After he and father-in-law, Kevin Green, tried to steal diesel from a businessman. The pair were retrained by Mr Woodhouse, who ended up in the dock himself for his citizen's arrest, which left Green with broken limbs. But the landscape gardener, who faces life in jail for grievous bodily harm, I think you know what he is, was cleared at Cardiff Crown Court in 20 minutes. Cross and Green, both unemployed, were fined £75 each uh, for the for the theft. Undeterred, Cross, this is Timothy Cross, bit, a bit of a thicko here, uh, then set his sights on more drums of diesel at another business. After appearing before Newport magistrates, he again walked free, this time with a fine of 120 quid to be paid off at £2.50 a week from his benefits. He's a thieving little toe rag and he's on benefits. God blimey. Mr Woodhouse, a married father of five, hit out at the mockery of the legal system. He's been, he's, he's been fined £5 a fortnight from his benefits, which he receives from us, the taxpayer. He said, nobody understands the pain I'm going through. I can't go fishing, walk with the dogs, and I've still got nightmares. Peter Cuthbertson, director of the Centre for Crime Prevention, says this shows how the courts have a problem only for the law-abiding. The guilty ones get feeble sentences. Oh, I'm sick to death of watching toe rags like uh, the dim Timothy Cross walking free from court. Find uh, You'll be fined £120. Uh, you take it out my benefits, £2.50 a week. So all he'll do, he'll just go on the rob. That's what he'll do. He thieves. He thieves. That's what he does for a living. They should have locked him up, thrown away the key ages ago. God, I tell you what, if ever I became a judge, I might become a circuit judge. It is possible. I think I'm, I think I'm at that age now. I can qualify. I'd have these people locked up, you know, and then sit. Oh, just hang him. Just hang him. <laughs> Who cares anymore about these people? Somebody said yesterday. Well, we were standing at uh, Paul Cooper's shop, and uh, a couple of these people uh, came in to uh, to offer to sell tobacco. I said, no, not interested. Uh, anyway, then he came back later. He'd obviously tried a load of other people up the high street. And uh, and he said to John, he, he picked up a, an orange and said, can I have this? And John went, no, put it back. He said, do you want to fight me for it? Do you want to fight me for Both John and I looked at each other and I thought, do you know, these people are so thick. It's almost, they want to fight him over an orange. I'd have, fu- I'd have kind of taken him out easy peasy. People like that, they're like powder puffs. <sighs> Just blow them, they fall over. Simple as that. Uh very uh, great impression of Pixie Dixie, Pixie and Dixie when you were quoting Nick Clegg's kids' names. Did make me smile, says Karen. <laughs> made myself smile on it, actually. Uh, David says, on the subject of dying the doors, I remember her well. She came from Swindon. He said, I didn't know her personally, of course. 
Her real name was Diana Fluck, and she was Britain's answer to Marilyn Monroe. She was a much better actress than given credit for. Yield to the Night, in 1956, she played a convicted murderess waiting to go to the gallows, loosely based on the Ruth Ellis case the previous year, and blooming good she was too. Should have used that as a stepping stone to a serious acting career, but by that time she was better well known for her private life. I think producers had a down on her. Of course, they're as pure as the driven slush too. And she was a guest on that TV mime show, with Eunice Stubbs and Lionel Blair, and had to mine, no sex, please, we're British. Which was a, a well-known, long-running farce. Cue peals of hysterical laughter from the studio audience. I think it was her down-to-earth nature, and the fact she didn't give a damn what people thought about her not-so-private life. And she was only 52 when she died. Thirty-eight. She'd have been 82. 82 this year. 82. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. Diana Dawes, yeah, 52. Way too young. Way too young, as far as I'm concerned. Way too young. I was looking at a meal the other day. I, mean, did the, I couldn't work out whether it sounded like a good deal or not a good deal. And it was Marks and Spencer. You know they do these meals where they go 20 quid. I think it might be a Mother's Day meal. And you get a joint, either of uh, lamb or gammon or all sorts of things. And then two sides... So you could have potatoes or vegetables, something like that, and a dessert and a bottle of wine, and it was 20 quid. And I looked at it thinking, that seems quite good value, because the tray of roast potatoes looked quite big, the vegetables looked quite big, and I thought, all for £20. Even if you sort of cut it up and use bits and pieces of it. They also had, um, I think there was a turkey roast in there as well. And I thought, you know, that seems really good value for £20. It's cheaper to eat in now, isn't it, than, than actually eat out. And I looked at it, I thought, Am I, gonna, I don't know, should I buy it, should I not buy it? I looked at the fridge, I thought, no, there's too much stuff in the fridge at the moment, I need to start eating more out of the fridge. But uh, still, still not doing too badly on the blood sugars, a little bit higher this morning, a little bit higher than we thought, but we, we think we know the reason for it. I, I might have had something that, uh, that pushed it up a little bit today. Um, Malcolm says, wasn't it Diana Dawes who was known as the British Marilyn Monroe? Yes, it was. And Phil says, funny how energy companies put prices down when the weather starts getting warmer and we'll be losing Less to heat our homes. Yeah, I don't know, but the last couple of nights, I've had the heating on. I put the heating on yesterday. I thought, I'm not freezing to death in this weather. Definitely not. I can afford to put the heating on, so I do put it on. I've not been superstitious for years, Steve. And touch wood, I never will be. It's an old gag, but it's worth using. Apparently, the latest story in the paper today is, um, carrots can stop cancer. Whether it's the carotene in there, I don't know. But they say researchers have found that men who included carrots in their regular diet, eating them at least three times a week, were 18% less likely to develop prostate cancer. This comes from China, where I'm assuming they eat vegetables quite a lot. Quite a lot. I, eat, I do eat carrots. I don't eat a huge amount of carrots, but I do like carrots. Uh, Steve, don't go mad with your money. Nobody expects you to keep them in drink all night. Just put enough behind the bar to buy everyone their first drink. Oh, no, their first three drinks are free anyway. Their first th three drinks. And then just keep a bit of cash on you buy someone a drink if you're chatting to them at the bar. 150 people going. I can't chat to 150 people at the bar. I'll be there for it. There'll be a queue out the door. <laughs> said most people will want to buy you a drink. Oh, no, I wouldn't guarantee that one. Oh, no, not round here. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there will be people. I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting people to put their hands in their pocket for this one, unless they rocket through the money with such... You wouldn't believe how much we're putting down the bar. I'm, cause, only because I was told off for the first one, going, that won't go very far, with it? And it's, I, I thought it was quite a, quite a lot of money. Uh, more on Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin. They were proof that opposites attract. Well, quite clearly not. 
Quite clearly not. They had a, what, a ten-year relationship, and they say at the end of the odd couple, he was different, despite his fame, he cherished privacy, and I didn't know anything about them, but I mean, her, her last boyfriend, 95, was of course with um, Brad Pitt. So, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know what the fascination is with them. I can't think of, of any fascination with two people I could be less interested in. I must tell you about this nun. Years and years ago, there was uh, the singing nun, and they did a television programme about her. Uh, she had a, a record out called Dominique, and it was just her and a guitar, and it was a little simple folk tune. And it was lovely. It was very, very nice. Then they did a documentary on her, and we discovered the dark side of the nun. There was a very dark, dark side to this nun, because I've, I've, I've always been a bit mistrustful about nuns. I don't know. I think they're trying to hide something. You know, you do hear stories, don't you, of poor girls who've gone to Catholic schools and they say, and the nuns were the worst. The nuns were the worst. So here is a, a nun who turns up now um, on The Voice. And because people now pop out of, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a nun or you can be any, anybody you like at all. So six, Sister Christina uh, Sculiccia is belting out Alicia Keys' hit No One. Wearing her full habit. Wearing her full habit. So it's a, bit, it's a bit like Sister Act. Oh, dear. I have to laugh, don't you? And, uh, and so she does it. it. This is in the Italian version of The Voice. One of the judges, tattooed Italian rapper J-Axe. I think that's how you pronounce it. Is it J-Axe? You've heard of him? you never heard of him. No, he's, he's Italian. Could be anybody. It's not, not Jay-Z, no. Swivelled around in his chair to look at the singer, and his jaw drops when he sees her. He joked, if I'd had a nun like you at Sunday school, I'd be Pope now. And so the, the video then gets posted on YouTube and it goes viral. She's had 30 million hits. 30 million hits. We used to have Sister Wendy over here. Do you remember Sister Wendy? She used to do art and she would send in front of a picture and go, this, this, can I let you, this marvellous, and, and she was absorbed in her art. And she's, she's, she's what they call a proper nun. And so somebody went down to interview and quite clearly shouldn't take fools, uh, you know, Gladly. She didn't suffer fools gladly. And she was quite tough with this person who was coming to interview her. But like watching poor old Fern Watson interviewing the, uh, the, uh, Prince of, uh, no, it's Duke of Edinburgh, where she fell flat on her proverbial, I'm afraid. It was just, it was just awful. Uh, I will tell you about the killing of pets. This is you overfeeding your pets. There's a, 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 a boxer dog here called Diesel. Actually, he doesn't look like a boxer dog at all. He looks like a Labrador. Uh, anyway, he weighs in at nine stone. You know why? Because people feed him. You know, we, we've got this barking mad woman around Twickenham who feeds pigeons. Not only her feeds pigeons, she feeds all the birds and everything else. I mean, she's, she's a dirty-looking creature. And not only she does, but we've got the most overfed ducks everywhere. People trek down there, throw tonnes of rice... It's all over the place. It's disgusting. It really is. In Richmond, they're, they're trying to stop that kind of thing. They don't want people to uh, to start sort of clogging up because it attracts rats and stuff like that. So as I pointed out before, there's a bloke who drives the buses, the Richmond bus station. He rips up bread and throws it out of the side of his cab. Buffoon that he is. Anyway, uh, so we'll talk more about you killing your pets with kindness. I mean, surely you must see they're getting fatter. Plenty more to come on your Thursday morning early breakfast show on LBC with Steve Allen. It's the day after the big LBC debate. The first YouGov poll told us that the public thought Nigel Farage won. Did you have the same opinion? Don't forget later on this morning with Nick Ferrari, it is Call Clegg. If you're just joining us for the 5am spike, you're late. We've got all the papers here in the studio. 
and I'll be making my way through them throughout the show. The last survivor of a crucial Second World War code-breaking team at Bletchley died the other day, and the Daily Mail are telling us that women are finally closing the gender pay gap with their male counterparts. Oh, don't forget the fantastic gadget giveaway. It's the iPad Mini with Retina Display. From LBC, this is Steve Allen. All of that is next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's the uh, the day after the bit. Well, it's hours after the uh, the big LBC debate. Uh, you seem to think Farage came out better. The sketch writers think it was it was a bit even. It depends. There might be a few people who will sort of wander, a few few Lib Dems who will wander. But you seem to be saying Farage. The papers seem to be saying Farage this morning. And uh, you can go to the LBC website and uh, you can vote as well. The last survivor of a crucial Second World War code-breaking team at Bletchley Park died the other day. And the ten-stone bodybuilder who's been told to go on a diet as she's borderline obese. Ridiculous. All of that and more this morning on LBC. Now we take all your texts and emails, 84850steve-at-lbc.co.uk. Uh, what else am I going to say this morning? Oh, yes, I, I know that uh, Ollie Mann did a lot on this, uh, the, the overfeeding of your pets. You would think somebody would notice. You see, the trouble is, cats and dogs and stuff like that, they'll just keep eating. Cats are a little bit more fussy. They, if, if, if they don't like something, they will turn their nose up at it. And they just said, you know, you could say to them, come on, eat it. And they go, not eating that. Smells of fish. Not eating it. And so you go, come on, it's lovely. And, um, and but they, they won't go for it. I don't, I don't know why. I really don't know why. We used to have, I used to hate when we had a cat doing cat food on a cold winter's morning. And you'd open the tin and the smell of it was horrible. And you'd put it on the plate and the cat had sort of, you know, throw itself into it with gay abandon. And then later come and lick your face. We go, no, don't. Don't lick my face. And so you'd push it away and it would start licking your hand. Oh, no. Horrid, horrid, horrid. Uh, good morning to uh, to Shirley and to Maria uh, and Lynn, who says, I want to find out more about Victoza. This is this injection I'm on. This is the one that was developed for type 2 diabetics. And it's, uh, it's acting as a, an appetite suppressant. It works with my pancreas. And uh, so far, so far it appears to be working. I'm not eating as much. I'm eating... What I, what I tend to eat, and it's probably not the right stuff again, but I've got, I've got a meeting with the hospital, uh, I think the week after next. In fact, I've got a number of meetings with the hospital coming up. I've got three bits of paper at home with all these different meetings and different things that I'm supposed to be doing. Check the heart out and everything else. Because I got on the bus the other day, and I sat on a seat where it's got a blue sticker, and it says this is for people who... Um, Basically, it's like an elderly person kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm at that age now. I qualify, just about. And uh, I've had heart surgery, and I'm a chronic diabetic. And I'm on lots of medication. And this old boy gets on, and he looks at me, and he looks... And he deliberately... It's one of those deliberate lookings. He looks at the blue sticker, and he looks at me sitting there, because, you know, I think I, I, think I look fairly fit. People have to ask me if I'm not feeling very well, because I don't, I don't kind of display it outwardly. I do actually, and I, I look very young for my age. So, and I was, I could tell he was, I thought, he's going to say something. Any minute now, he's going to turn around and go, these seats are for the elderly. And I'm going to go, I am elderly. But I didn't say anything. I sat there thinking, he's going to say something. At some point, he's going to say, this isn't, this isn't a seat for you. And I was, I was armed 
with all my medical history and my insulin and my pens and all the rest of it. And on this Victoza, this is this thing you have to go to the hospital and they have to prescribe it for you. They don't just hand it out willy-nilly, much as though you wish they did. But it's it's for type two diabetics. It doesn't. It's not going to be for anybody else at all. It's not. It's not the great big saving grace. I'm afraid in losing weight. But it's for people uh, like me who have uh, who have a lot of trouble with their insides, and so we're getting it all all sorted out. So for me, it works. So I, I eat a sandwich in the morning. Sometimes I eat it after the program. Sometimes I eat it before. And I did have a sandwich this morning, but unfortunately, I think it had the wrong thing in it. So what I've been having for the last couple of days is I've been having a bacon, lettuce and tomato. And that, that, that appears to be the right combination of a good sandwich. It's got a bit of bacon, it's got a bit of malted bread, it's got some tomato and it's got some lettuce. So I'm get, getting a bit of roughage, as they say. And that one seems to work. The one this morning, I'm afraid, was hoisin duck. And I think the sauce is all sugar. And that's what's, that's what's changed the reading this morning. So I've learnt... I've learnt that's, you know, I won't have one of those again. I'll have something else. And I like bacon, lettuce and tomato. Don't get me wrong. Or bacon and egg or something like that. And so I have that. Then I don't have anything throughout the day. I might have a little bit of fruit. And then in the evening, probably at about four or five o'clock, I then have my, my dinner. Because it's this little and often, and this works for anybody who isn't diabetic as well. If you want to lose weight, you know, if you're still eating fried food, if you're still eating Kentucky Fried Chicken, if you're still eating pizza, if you're still eating baked potatoes, all of these things are fat-making. If you're still eating fries from McDonald's, they're fat-making. The fatter the chip, the less fat there is on the surface area. So that's why you have to sort of change, and it's little and often. If you eat little and often, it's fine. Oh, and the exercise. I'm not saying you have to go and join a gym and start doing bodybuilding and pumping, but there's lots of pensioners listening who just, you know, take a brisk stroll. They go out for a walk, as opposed to taking the car from A to B. Walk from A to B. I have been known to... to I have cheated, actually. I thought one day I thought, I'll walk to Kingston, being a brave person. I thought, I'll walk to... Well, I got so, so far down the road, and I thought, you know, I haven't really got the energy to do this anymore. I shall turn around. I felt like an overweight dog. And it's funny how dogs turn into their owners. Because when you see an overweight dog, it'll be slowly lumbering along the road, being practically towed along by somebody who is equally slow and lethargic. As and that's it. And the dogs take on the uh, the look of the owner, I'm afraid. So stop killing them. Some people give their pets alcohol. Some people give them the food that they've just eaten. So in other words, if they've had roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, gravy and uh, carrots, and they give it to the dog. They put it down on the floor and the dog eats it. Small wonder dogs just get fatter and fatter and fatter. And this one here, because now the PDSA are sort of saying, this has got to stop. More pets are being killed. You are killing your pet. You don't realise it, and the, 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 the dog will just keep eating. You put food down, the dog will keep going. Until eventually it feels so bloated, but then it'll come back to it later. They always uh, they always go. I mean, this, this poor white, white boxer dog, I mean, he is double his ideal weight. He's nine stone. He's, he's the size of an adult. But uh, what they've done is, he's a contender in the PDSA's Pet Fit Club contest. His owner, Suzanne Fox from Pool in Dorset, says he's always been a big dog, but he piled on weight to his love of biscuit treats. It's because people give their dogs treats. Well, I mean, this woman's a murderess. She's killing this dog. She's killing him. He doesn't, don't, well, don't give them to him. If he wants treats, you just don't give them to him. It's not like he's going to sit there going, give me treats, or I'm going to eat you. Give me treats now. They don't do that. It's a dog. It's ridiculous. She banned custard creams when he couldn't get through the dog flap and said Diesel chewed the furniture when he was a puppy. So to help him grow out of this, we started giving him a little treat. He loves going to the beach, so I hadn't considered his weight would cause a problem. So she was giving him custard creams. 
I mean, this is just ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850, oh, steve at uk. Uh, Nick says, um, have you been enjoying reading the books on London that I sent? Oh, gosh, I read them that day on the train. Oh, I, I devour stuff like that. Me and me and London, I love that. And David says, I remember Diana in the episode of The Sweeney. You mentioned where she said to Reagan, played by the late John Thor, of course, are you this regal bloke? Best bit was later in the episode where she sat on a wedding cake. She had quite an ample bottom by then. And the whole cake was completely crushed. Forgot to say, Diana was quite a good singer. I've got an album of hers from the mid-60s called Swinging Doors. Best song on it is The Gentleman is a Dope. Whole album well worth a listen. I should imagine it's probably been digitally remastered. Go on to, uh, we're going to and have a look on, uh, on Amazon. See if we can find Diana Doors and Swinging Doors. I bet we can, actually. Doors, D-O-R-S. Because that'd be quite good. 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. They're asking you to wear hats tomorrow. Uh, fish out your best headgear to help research into brain tumours. They're hoping to raise about seven million. Seven million. Um, oh, we, we, we found the al- oh, we found the album. Good Lord, we found it already. She was very glamorous, wasn't she? Very, very glam in her day. We found this album and it's got The Gentleman is a Dope, Come By Sunday Imagination, Roller Coaster Blues, Crazy. You can download it as well. You can download it or you can buy the album. So uh, Let There Be Love. And the point of no return in love for the very first time. I might actually buy it. I like easy listening music. I'm, I'm quite, uh, I'm quite good at doing laid back. They've only got one more in stock. You watch. By the end of this pro, that will have gone if I don't buy it. Swinging doors, it's called. Diana doors. And the year? No idea. You can buy it actually used for five pound twenty nine. But I like to buy new. I'm one of those sort of people. So anyway, just going back uh, briefly to wearing your hat for cancer. Gillian Anderson is supporting this because she lost her brother, Aaron, to a brain tumour in 2011. She says brain tumours kill more children and adults under 40 than any other form of cancer. It's always something. It's not, not really much to look forward to in life, is there? You know, you get to this at 30 and they go, oh, you're going to now get this. And then you do so and so and so. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, of course, you know, people between this age and this age. If you contracted diabetes after the age of 40, then there's a very good chance you're going to get dementia. And you start feeling a bit depressed about the whole thing, I'm afraid. Oh, if you're worried about everything, though, that would be ridiculous. They're looking at uh, iconic dress... Oh, we'll do the superstitions in a minute as well. I must tell you the superstitions. And uh, don't forget the gadget competition's running. But uh, when it comes to turning heads, there's nobody like Marilyn Monroe. That iconic dress from the seven-year itch, made in 1955, I think, uh, is top of the list of iconic items of clothing... From the movies, Jennifer Lopez's green palm print dress worn at the Grammy Awards is worth about £9,000. They sold, incidentally, the other year, I don't know if you remember Elizabeth Hurley's safety pin dress, that went for £10,690 in 2007. But all of that is dwarfed, dwarfed by Marilyn Monroe's white halter neck dress from the seven-year itch made in 1955. They sold it in 2011. And how much did they sell it for? £3.4 million. There is a warehouse in America. It's owned by this guy. He's got everything. He's got, I believe, most of Michael Jackson's outfits. He's got the Jackson 5's outfits. He's got everything connected. He just buys lots of stuff. And he's got loads of famous things. Debbie Reynolds has the same. She has a warehouse full of clothes from the movies. She sold some a short while ago. And I think it was uh, about £10 million. 
she raised £10 million. Debbie Reynolds. Unbelievable. She owns all sorts of things, like the clothes from The Sound of Music, the guitar that Julie Andrews played. From the, she's got everything. Everything. I would love to have stuff like that, but what do you do with it? Do you then put it in a, a glass cabinet? I suppose the only place for it is a museum. When they did it down at the V&A, they brought over these Hollywood costumes from all the famous films. It was the most stunning exhibition I'd ever seen. What amazed me was how tiny, how tiny some of these people were. I mean, David Bowie, for example, when they did the David Bowie exhibition, his waist you could get your hands round. When he was doing Aladdin Sane, they've got that sort of jumpsuit thing. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. But all these beautiful Hollywood costumes, a lot of them made by Edith Head, who was the uh, costumier to the stars. Coming up, I'll be telling you why parents have been told to stop reading the Jungle Book and Winnie the Pooh to their children. LBC News Time, 5.15. Interesting. Today, uh, Nick will be looking back to the debate from last night and asking you as well, who do you think won? Most of you, most of you, and it's, it's tipped in the, uh, the favour of Mr Farage at the moment. Will it change later on? I don't know. Political commentators are saying, well, it was a bit, a bit split, but uh, you, the public, you're the ones that matter. You're, you're the people that would be convinced by them or not. It is called Clegg today. It'll be interesting. I can't wait to see what some of the people are going to be saying to him today. Uh, it's uh, it's another packed programme with Nick Ferrari at 7 o'clock this morning for LBC Breakfast. Michael Portillo will be in. I was only watching him last night on the television, doing another one of his train journeys. And I quite like the train journeys as well. I'm very good on that. Uh, plus, I'll be talking to uh, Darren Murphy, Chief Executive at Centreground Political Communication and former Special Advisor to Tony Blair. All of that and more with Nick Ferrari and uh, our reporter Tom Swarbrick is over in Berlin at the moment. We have a gadget competition for you today. Your chance to get your hands on the Apple iPad Mini with Retina display. This is the one you want. This is the one you can play with till the cows come home. And all you have to do is tell me the answer to this question. On which reality TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? On which reality TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? Text the word gadget, then the answer, and then send that to 848 Five zero to reach here before 6.30 this morning. Text costs £1.50 plus the standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered but may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Full term conditions online at lbc.co.uk. Do you know you're more likely to believe in the supernatural these days than in God? I think because... And I'm, 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 I, I sit on the fence... You know, as a, as a child, like most people, we all went to church on a Sunday. I think as you get a bit older, you tend tend not to go to church all the time. You know, if you, everybody's got a belief in something. You know, whether you believe in God or whether you don't believe in God. Or the Bible, I just thought, was a series of fairly good stories that have been translated over the years, and they've lost something in the translation. But still, people are dear to it. But uh, you do wonder, if there is a God, how they can let all these disasters happen and children's lives be lost. Although, out of that dreadful mudslide the other day, they found a little boy. They got a little boy out and they said, don't worry, we're going to try and find your mummy. I have a horrible feeling she's under 20 feet of mud. It's uh, just absolutely unbelievable. There was one woman who, she said it was an, a sheer miracle, said that I got out. She said, but, and it's what we said the other day, the town planners had given planning permission for all these houses. Literally, you know, underneath a mountain that they'd been told years ago was slightly unstable because of all the water. Every time it rains, that you know, the ground gets more sodden and wet, and once it's wet, it goes on the move. And this thing did. The whole mountain moved. It came down and buried this entire village-stroke town underneath in about 20 feet of mud. 
They're 20 feet under. There's no chance now of finding anybody alive. They pulled this little boy out the other day, and uh, the woman who survived said she put her arms round him, and she said, I'm going to be your favourite granny from now on. She said, I'm going to look after you and make sure, because they think the rest of his, his, his family perished. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable that they could even find somebody at this, uh, this late stage. But she's, and I'm sure there's going to be some huge compensation claims from people saying, but wait a minute, the town planners should be sued. <laughs> Not that you can find the town planners anymore. They're under 20 feet of mud. They think there's about 176 people still unaccounted for. They will get them out. It will just take a little bit of time. Anyway, that's, that's by the by. We now more likely believe in the supernatural and in superstitions. For example, these are, every single one of you listening will know these superstitions. The groom shouldn't see the bride's dress before the wedding day. I don't think you should actually see the bride at all. Friday the 13th is unlucky. I, can't remember, I think because they, they point out the fact there were 13 people at the table with Christ. You won't find row 13 on an aeroplane considered unlucky. If you spill salt, you throw it back over your shoulder to avoid bad luck. If your ear is burning, you go, oh, my ears are burning. Somebody must be talking about me. In my case, most of the time, I should imagine. If you find a penny on the floor, it's lucky. Yeah, lucky for you, unlucky for the person who dropped it. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you know when you drop a penny like that in a shop, I can't be bothered to bend down and pick it up. I just kick it under the counter. I'm not... I'm, I don't really care about things like that. Uh, putting new shoes on the table is unlucky. Why? Because it scuffs the table. Opening an umbrella indoors... Bad luck. You never do that, do you? Don't open it, don't open it, please. Don't open the umbrella. Touching wood is lucky. You do that, you go, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so, touch wood. Breaking a mirror brings you seven years bad luck. And also, if you pick it up, you can get cuts and everything. It's a nightmare. Mirror shards go all over the place. And the most common superstition that you all know is... Don't walk under a ladder. It's considered unlucky if you walk under a ladder. They, they, they didn't mention the one about the black cat crossing your path. That's supposed to be lucky, I think. But uh, how many people believe in spooks and psychics? Demons is at the bottom of the list. 8% of people believe in demons. The Bermuda Triangle, only 9% of people believe in the Bermuda Triangle. In astrology, 10% of you, because you know that the, uh, the star signs are just made up. They apply to just about everybody. You can find something that will ring, you know, a little bell in your head for your life. Uh, so astrology gets 10%. Psychic healing. 16% of you believe in psychic healing. The ability to predict the future, 18% of you, which is roughly the same as astrology, which is different from astronomy. Uh, telepathy. Do you believe that you can send a message to somebody subliminally? I mean, I can send... If I actually send a colour to the producer now, let's just try it as an experiment, OK? I'm going to think of a colour, and I'm going to send the colour to him, and he's going to tell me what it is, OK? I'm thinking of the colour now, and now I'm sending you that colour. And the colour that you receive is... Purple. Man's a buffoon, ladies and gentlemen. No, green. Try, try it one more time. <laughs> yeah, all right. The colour I'm thinking of now is... Blue. No, black. But it was close. I mean, it's a, it's a dark colour. OK, final time. Final time. God, it's like pulling teeth, isn't it? OK, here is the final colour, and it's coming to you now. No, yellow. You went red. <laughs> Man's an idiot, ladies and gentlemen. Let's not bother asking him again. <laughs> Quite clearly too stupid. Um, how many of you believe in spooks and, uh, and psychics? Past lives, 19% of you. I don't know what that means. UFOs. 
You so want to believe in UFOs, don't you? You so want to believe in the fact that E.T. phone home is going to be around and it's going to come down and we're going to be invited back there and we're going to have a conversation. You so want that to happen. But it's only going to be two old biddies who live in Arkansas in America, in the middle of nowhere, and still be visited by a spaceship. Sixth Sense. A sixth Sense is where you... Sometimes you see things happening and you have, you have a... You think, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was, you know, that was, that was definitely going to happen. I knew that. And, uh, and 33% of you uh, believe in ghosts. I often wondered, and have wondered recently as well, um, whether or not ghosts actually exist. I was, I was conjuring up a scenario. I looked at a house, not to buy because it was too expensive, but it was owned by Christopher Wren, and it's over the road from Hampton Court Palace. And it's got a lot of original Wren features. He designed the garden. He designed some furniture that went in the garden. There's original locks from the 1600s in there. And I thought, if I bought that house, if I'd won the lottery, I'd have bought it. Because it, it's got a history. I like a history. I like a history with the house. But I did dream that I went upstairs into one of the rooms, which would have been his parlour. And he and a friend were sitting down in their clothes of the day. And I said, I'm not scared of you. You don't frighten... I would quite welcome a ghost, would you not? I think that would be... That would be quite interesting if a ghost actually existed. In this building, used to be houses years ago, two big houses, one owned by a doctor. Um, and I'd love to know if there are ghosts within the building. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't actually believe it. But I'd like to. I like that. Keith says, yield to the night was written before the Ruth Ellis affair. When you visited the Crime Museum, you probably would have seen the gun used by Ellis to shoot David Blakely in April 19, uh, 1955. We saw all sorts of things in there. There's, the, the, there is a lot of stuff in there. They had a, uh, a series of heads. This is in the Scotland Yard. It used to be called the Black Museum, but it's the Crime Museum now. And officers use it as a source of reference. So I saw a lot of things. A lot of things in there that you go, oh, my goodness me. They had all the hangman's nooses, which were in there, and all the heads. They used to take uh, plaster casts of the people who'd been executed, and they line the walls of it, plus cabinets with things in, knives which had been used in murders, um, walking sticks converted into guns. You know, really, I mean, absolutely fascinating. Absolutely, you know, only ever heard people talk about the Black Museum, now the Crime Museum. So to actually go in there and see it, I might have seen the gun used by Ellis to shoot David Blakely. I might have seen it. I certainly saw lots of things. Lots of things. So none of, none of which disturbed me, it has to be said. None of which disturbed me. I, I, perhaps I should have been a bit more disturbed than I, than I really was. Coming up, the 58-year-old man who has refused alcohol as he'd forgotten his ID... Bearing in mind, he's 58, remember. 58. LBC News Time. It's 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to six. Uh, the Craze Unseen Family Album is in the Daily Mail today. And uh, it's very interesting. It's got lots of pictures of the Craze, obviously thinking they were sort of the big hard men. Uh, locked up in prison for the majority of their life, but they're pictured here, uh, you know, just being typical East End lads, most of them sort of posing moodily, uh, which I thought was very, very interesting. And I think it's uh, it's a new book that's coming out called From the Cradle to the Grave. Uh, you remember, of course, that when they were sentenced, they were given life 
uh, and in those days, in, well, in their case, life appeared to be as long as uh, they were expected to live. Uh, Charlie was sent down for ten years for being an accessory for the murder of McVitie. But the next time the brothers were photographed together after they went to prison uh, is when they were allowed out to attend their mother's funeral in 1982. And I think what they'd done then, I think uh, Ronnie or Reggie, I think, was they, they found the biggest prison officer that they could and he was handcuffed to him to go to the prison. I mean, everybody turned out... It was so strange, actually, watching some of the East End turning out for people whose, whose entire life had been to terrorise other people. I mean, they were a pair of incompetent buffoons because what they didn't understand, the, the new thing that was coming in was gambling. And they had Esmeralda's barn. But because they weren't au fait with it, they lost out a fortune. So all they ended up doing was doing protection. But at least they had a club where people could go to. But they, if they'd got into the gambling properly, then they might have actually been more successful. But they weren't particularly successful. And so after they were allowed out, uh, their father died a year later. And uh, by 2000, both the twins and their brother had, uh, had followed him. It's strange, actually, uh, the Craze family album may be full of memories, but one suspects very few of them were happy. I don't think they had a particularly happy childhood. I mean, it was very difficult. Most of them, I mean, they spent all their spare time in the boxing ring or just hanging around on street corners. When they turned 18 in 1951, that would have been, they decided the military service was not for them, so they spent most of their national service in the guard room. They were arrested for assaulting a policeman. They went to Shepton Mallet. And then when they came back to the East End, they'd obviously decided by that time that they uh, that they, they weren't going to be having a normal job. Their first club was called the Regal. I don't remember the Regal. But that's the one which the craze turned into a glamorous, fashionable night spot. They had suits, lots of publicity. Ronnie had all his boyfriends there, lots of little boys. Nobody ever dare say anything at the time until somebody did and they paid for it with their, with their lives. Uh, the two siblings, they say Ronnie was the most psychotic out of them. He was in prison for GBH. While locked up, he was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenia, which partly explains his violent tendencies. Um, and usually for that time, he was publicly bisexual, which Reggie didn't kind of understand. And yet there's loads of pictures of them with, with uh, Ronnie's boyfriends in the club, some of whom look particularly young. That's all we'll say on it. Tim in Southampton went to see Confessions of a Taxi Driver the other night. Well, it probably turned up on his television. He says, I'll never look at Linda Bellingham the same way. Yes, I believe she's topless in it. I believe so. I, I couldn't actually swear to it. I couldn't actually swear to it. Um, and Mary in Croydon says, when you see one magpie, you say, good morning, Mr Magpie. For luck. Yes, I've heard of that before. It's obviously not the most common thing that people do when they're superstitious. I mean, I remember uh, the other thing, you have to turn mirrors round to face the wall for a thunderstorm, don't you? My grandmother had this thing, whether it's su- well, it must have been a superstition. If ever there was a thunderstorm, she wrapped the cutlery up. So she, I know it seems bizarre, doesn't it? She would literally go into the kitchen and she would take out all the knives and forks and they had bone handles in those days. A lot of you are remembering things like that. And she used to wrap it up. Mirrors, she turned round to face the wall. Laura in Sussex says, if a picture falls from a wall, there will be a death. Well, I imagine there will be if it falls on somebody, yeah. I've got some very heavy mirrors at home. <laughs> but uh, I like the idea of saying, good morning, Mr Magpie. I have a lot of magpies. And Sean says, uh, the street name... The time forgot is Rupel Street. This is down at Waterloo. If you want to do yourself a favour, just get on the bus. Get get the 139 or the 176 or anything else that drops you at Waterloo. Walk back a little bit, just underneath the railway bridge. Do a right. If you're coming back from the bus stop, do a right. Go down there and it's Rupel Street. It's very famous. You can Google it today and have a, have a look. And you will see a street that is 
is captured in time. It's, it's, it's quite magical. They've used it a lot for, uh, for filming. On the subject of Diana Dawes, lover in the, uh, an episode of Steptoe and Son, she's trying to woo Harold into her flat. Yes. I mean, I loved her. I thought she was great. I thought she was great. But again, one of those people who, in conversation, that would have been a great opportunity. She did turn up. She did do a few few chat shows. And... um and you sort of think, think to yourself, I wish I talked to her. I love, I would have absolutely loved it. Certain people, you know, I've, I've achieved most of the ambitions of people I want to talk to, but it's still, you know, every time we do another in conversation, it's another revelation for me. Sorry? Sam Bailey, we did Sam Bailey. Sam Bailey's going to run this weekend with, with Terry Gilliam as well, who's got this new film out. It's a very bizarre film, as, as he will explain to you. And I think people who go and see Terry Gilliam's films will go time and time again because you see something different. But there's a, there's a kid in this film who's brilliant. I mean, he's absolutely brilliant. There's some, some really cracking acting in it. There really is. Um, Charlie Gerling tells me great reviews for I Can't Sing in the West End. She said, I told you to be a hit. There's nothing worse than smugness at this time of the morning. Yes, of course, the only problem, Charlie was that little Cheryl didn't go. She's apparently stuck in the recording studio and far too busy pet to go. And uh, and also, poor old Dermot O'Dreary never went either, but I think that was... Somebody said to him, they're going to be laughing at you, I'm afraid, not with you. Uh, once again, says Moz in Romford, the search for the plane has been called off due to bad weather. I don't suppose Australia, Japan, China have a submarine between them. Um, I don't know who has all the submarines at the moment. That's what they need, isn't it? But I, I don't think it's as simple as just taking a submarine. It's, it's, it's a bit more complicated. As it's two and a half miles down, you're looking for, you know, little bits of wreckage. All they need to do, though, is get a submersible down there, pick up a piece of wreckage. But, I mean, who knows? It could be pitch dark. Well, it will be pitch dark. But you don't know if it's swirling around. You don't know with all the different currents and whether this, this stuff has drifted away from the, the main plane. I mean, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, Dogs are very greedy, Steve. Neighbours boxers used to eat stones. Yes, a friend of mine had a boxer. They're, they're prone to hip uh, complaints, I'm afraid. But never mind. Uh, never mind Munro's dress. I want the black trousers from Olivia Newton-John in Greece. She told me when she... Quick name drop there. Olivia Newton-John came in, and she had to be pulled into those trousers. They were so tight. They were so tight. And, of course, I mean, I think she's she's gone down in history. That's the only... One of the only interviews, a friend of mine in Vienna, Paul, said, I can't believe you're talking to Olivia Newton-John for In Conversation. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Gorgeous-looking woman. We had some really lovely people. Today, it's Tom Conte who's appearing at the Garrick Theatre at the back in 12 Angry Men. Sarah says, you might have mentioned this already about Diana Dawes, but I seem to remember after she died, the money left amounted to about £2 million, apparently in a bank account somewhere in the world. No, she died nothing. She died nothing. That's, you know, um, I've spoken to her uh, son about any money. She, she didn't own the house. It was owned by the bank, the car. Uh, it was owned by the bank, everything. She, didn't, she just didn't make any money at the end. She had... The, uh, the pauper's income and the champagne lifestyle. And that was the... And, of course, at 52. But she had tried to get her career back on course. There's all... There the were stories at the time that there might have been this hidden bank account. But believe you me, banks... You know, now people go through banks. You know, if, if an account's not been active for a while, then they make public that they've got this this money. Also, with these groups like the, the Air... Air, are they called the Air Hunters, where they go around, it's H-E-I-R, try to find people who are related. A friend of mine had that, and they found a distant relation 
a distant relation, a friend of mine, they got this, this, this phone call saying, are you Mr. So-and-so, so-and-so? And he said, yes. Anyway, the estate was worth, he ended up with something like £150,000. Wish somebody would knock on my door and tell me my aunt Enid's died and left me a gold mine in South Africa, but I think it's, I think it's fairly unlikely, I'm afraid. <laughs> fairly unlikely. 84850, uk. Um, somebody says, uh, somebody used to feed... Uh, her Jack Russell, the finest fillet steak. Yes, I don't know why people overfeed. This is the story that's running in all the papers today. The PDSA are trying to stop you overfeeding your dogs. They don't want you to overfeed them because dogs are, are dying unnecessarily because they're supposed to be fit. They're supposed to, you know, run about and jump and do things. But if you overfeed them, they can barely get themselves up off the ground. So be very careful. Peter says, I saw the Ruth Ellis gun in the old Bailey Museum. Uh, not the old Bailey Museum, it's in uh, New Scotland Yard. It's in storage at the moment, I believe. Patrick in Woolwich says, uh, I believe that uh, Linda Bellingham was topless in a Sweeney episode. My God, in her day, what a looker. Oh, I think she looks lovely now, actually. She's allowed herself to go grey. Did you notice that a short while ago? Uh, Diana Dawes had her own chat show called Open Doors. Very glamorous, lots of jewellery and gowns. She was glamorous in the day when, when people people dressed up. Nobody dresses up now, do they? Nobody dresses up to go out anywhere. You very rarely see something. If you, if you go to a first night, like last night, the only people who actually dressed up will be the celebrities because they're doing it for a photo opportunity. You know, I mean, even Simon Cowell had a suit on last night. If he turned up in a pair of jeans, he'd be going, look at this, honestly. Very expensive musical and, and a pair of jeans. Not good enough. Ron in North Yorkshire pointed out that Diana Dawes did appear in Steptoe and Son, as did many people. One half of Hinge and Bracket appeared in, uh, in uh, playing um, a female impersonator. <laughs> it was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And uh, I remember her, says Paul, as the diet guru on TVAM. There is a YouTube clip of Anne Diamond being interviewed about. She says that uh, Diana never appeared to lose any weight, but when it came to the weigh-in, she'd always lost a pound, but used to take her necklace off. I remember things like that. And Anne was concerned that only Nick was allowed to interview her. And one day, Diana wafted in in a caftan, explaining very nicely that when you're a middle-aged actress with a weight problem, the last thing you want near you on camera is a thin female presenter. Oh, I know, I've heard that before. I know somebody who, um, who, who put on a lot of weight on television. They used to have the dress sizes cut out. They used to cut the dress sizes out because they couldn't bear uh, seeing the truth. It's like, you know, I remember once I did buy a pair of trousers which had a particularly... Wide waist. I remember being so horrified, so horrified that these uh, high-waisted trousers were actually in my wardrobe. I vowed then that I would never go there ever again. Coming up, the 1987 Volvo motor car. It's only got 132 miles on the clock. It would have been worth about 250 quid, but because it's perfect and it's, it's literally it's in pristine condition, it's only got 132 miles on the clock, which I think is a bad thing, but that, I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, there's a lot of interest in it. LBC News time. It's quarter to six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 11 minutes to six. Don't forget, I'm here on Sunday now as well. Sunday morning live between six and eight. I'm kind of the warm-up man for Kay Burley and Stig Abel. I'm, I'm happy to do so. So I'm here again this week. So Sunday morning, make a date. We've got tons of texts and emails last week. Absolutely. What we do is we do our irreverent trek through the morning newspapers. And on Sunday, of course, we have even more choice. Even more choice. So if you want to join me on Sunday morning between 6 and 8 o'clock. The gadget giveaway. Kathleen Duggan from Woodford Green got the fabulous touchscreen laptop yesterday. Today... 
It's the Apple iPad Mini with Retina display. But you need to know the answer to this question to be in with a chance of winning. On which reality TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? On which reality show did Susan Boyle first appear? I've got to think about this one myself. Make sure you get it right. Text the word gadget, then your answer, and send it to 84850 before 6.30 this morning. The text will cost pound fifty plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Full terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. Stuart said to me yesterday, he, he, he sent me a text from the fish shop. Uh, saying, how did you get on with the lobster? And you remember we had this, we had a live lobster. And the producer took it home, and he has managed to, to cook it. And uh, so I, I did say, say to Stuart, you know, he has done the deed, he's managed to do it. And, it. and he took a picture of it. I mean, whether or not it's one of those joke ones he's put in a saucepan, I don't know. But for some reason it went in upside down. So in other words, just to add total humiliation to this poor thing, you now lie it on its back. And it cooks that way. But ten minutes it, it cooked. Ten minutes it cooked, which was uh, he was very pleased about. Very pleased. And it's down back in the freezer, and he's going to take it out and do lobster thermidor with it over the weekend. For all those people. We had no end of people saying, oh, I love the idea of lobster. Now, I still haven't eaten it. I've still not eaten lobster. What's it? But we, we, so I couldn't... I'm not sure. You see, if I go in there and ask him to do me an, another lobster, I'm not sure whether or not that's going to be the right thing. Because I'm a bit worried about putting on weight. But I'm assuming it's not fattening. But there is a woman in the paper today. Her name is Anita Albrecht. Anita Albrecht is a professional bodybuilder and a personal trainer. She weighs 10 stone. OK, now, if you're a bodybuilder, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, people, you know, as, as, a, as a competitive sport, and it is classed as a sport, people don't drink for nine months. Months and months and months and months. And their body is absolutely perfect. Anyway, um, on a routine visit to an NHS clinic... She was stunned to be told, at ten stone, she needs to lose weight. Which is rather bizarre, because if you look at pictures of her, I mean, her body would be considered... We have a a couple of people in the office here who have six-packs. Proper, genuine six-packs. And they wouldn't eat rubbish food or anything. But it's because of her her body mass. And so they told her she was bordering on obesity. At ten stone. I mean, you can't believe this at all, can you? A nurse told her she needed to begin a thousand calorie a day diet, which is half the recommended amount for a woman. Miss Albrecht, who is 39, says a thousand calories a day is only for people who are severely obese who are not active. They should only be on that for a maximum of 12 weeks, generally as a precursor to surgery. So anyway, she did finish sixth in the 2012 Miss Galaxy Universe bodybuilding competition. She visited a family planning clinic at Harold Hill Health Centre near her home in East London on March the 5th. She's four foot eleven. So she's not the tallest person in the world. And she weighs ten stone three pounds. She's got a BMI of 29. A healthy BMI is between 18.5 and 25. A score of 25 to 29 is classed as overweight and anything above 30 is obese. Miss Albrecht said she was speaking about her ordeal to prevent other women receiving dangerous misinformation. And the nurse said you're obviously eating too much. Without asking about my lifestyle, eating habits, taking into account body competition, and so on, and composition. It left me feeling a bit insulted and confused. During the appointment to review her contraception, Miss Albrecht was told to exercise more and cut alcohol and fruit juice. Well, you can't do any more exercise than being a bodybuilder. She said, for nine months of the year, I don't even drink. As I'm a competitive athlete, I was made to feel as if I was overweight, overeating, and I was a bit of a... There was a knock in my confidence. The health centre and an NHS 
England spokesman both declined to comment the other day. So there you go. But you look at pictures of her. I mean, it's because of the body mass. It's because of the fact that she has, you know, done particularly well. She came sick. Then they become quite quite addicted to all this sort of posh working out. I mean, my friend Stuart, he goes to the gym a lot as well. It's to keep himself in tip-top shape. I mean, I, I just feel depressed going to a gym. I sit there looking at people thinking, not in a million years am I ever going to look like that. Or want to, to be honest with you. <laughs> or want to. But as Stuart says, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You do feel better, though, when, when you've been to a gym. I did go once. I did go once, and I did actually... Uh, sort of persevere with with a trainer for a little for a little while, not not a huge amount of time it has to be said, but at least at least I made the effort, I made the effort on it, which I was I was quite happy about. Um, one here, uh, Lizzie Kelly's in hospital. She's a uh, she's a big fan of the program. Soon to have an operation, and so uh, lots of love from Carol and the rest of the group. And uh, my mum said you must always throw sh- salt over your left shoulder. Yes, you you hold with the right hand and throw over your left, don't you? Also, dropping a cutlery knife on the floor by accident means a man's coming round. <laughs> I've tried this often. No luck, unfortunately. You can't do it deliberately. I don't think it works that way, does it? And um, uh, at the moment, uh, Juliet is eating lunch in sunny Perth in Australia. So that's nice, isn't it? I was, I was only watching The Seekers on YouTube the other day and enjoying it. And somebody else was telling me about these, uh, these two boys who appeared on Australia's Got Talent. The other, the other two you've got to look out for are the Royce Twins. They were on Australia's Got Talent. They're very good. They're a couple of twins, quite clearly. And they sing, but very good they are too. But it's, it's the, little, the little Chinese boys who are just absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, 84850, Sophie in London is normally a podcaster. And so uh, when I'm on air, doesn't, doesn't listen because she's asleep. But actually, lovely today, her unborn son is kicking up a storm. So she's got the programme live which is fantastic. Uh, I joined um, one of those health clubs 12 weeks ago and wanted to tell you how pleased I am with myself. I've lost £24 so far, says Karen. Yes, you're supposed to lose. The recommended amount to lose is, I think you'll find, £2 a week. That's what they say. Any more than that, it it could be dangerous. So they say, to err on the side of caution, £2 a week. So over a 12-week period, you could lose uh, £24. £24. Lady Home Time, says Dan. Busy morning ahead of returning bits and a shopping trip to Reading, not Costco. Glad to see your bloods are looking healthy. There's a treat to me. Dan is taking me out to lunch. Oh, how delightful. <laughs> I welcome the idea of people taking me, uh, taking me out to lunch. Um, more, I'm afraid, complaints about uh, the worst internet provider, BT. I'm afraid. They get the most internet moans. Because you remember I had a problem with AOL and then we sent a hashtag to them and something was sorted out. And so I've got it back. And then somebody else sent me a, an email the other day saying, my AOL is on, off, on, off, on, off. If it's, if it's like that, it might be the line. You can get the line tested. And the other thing you can do is every so often, you should always do this anyway, turn the computer off. Unplug everything from your little box that's plugged into the wall leave it a couple of minutes and then plug it all back in again. That kind of gives it a bit of a boost to the system and is always my answer to everything. Hitting it with a hammer was always fairly prominent in my place. But uh, I've I've now got it back on again and uh, it's working, which is great because without it, you just can't do anything. You can't contact this programme. You can't find out the information that you need and you, you wouldn't discover the story which is in the paper today over the woman with a baby bump. And she thought, oh, baby bump. No, 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 no. It was a cyst weighing five stone. They drained off 
32 litres of fluid from this cyst. I mean, she's absolutely enormous. Because sometimes you see people, you think, you're eating quite a lot. And then you look at this woman and you think, you've eaten quite a bit here. But of course, it's a cyst. She had no idea. She had her uh, operation in the maternity unit. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. I mean, at first she thought she was expecting until the pregnancy test came back negative. Imagine how frightened you would be on that. You think, I'm getting, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm not pregnant. It's negative. Well, what is it? It's a cyst. She had been 19 stone. It added so much to her. So five stone on this cyst. And they drained it and now uh, life is, is back to normal. She says, uh, it could have been so much worse. I'm very, very lucky to actually be alive. And she is, when you look at the picture, this thing was huge. So, uh, into hospital. I've always said, if there's, if there's something the matter with you, you must go into hospital. You must go certainly go to the doctors and get things checked out. Because, you know, without going to get things checked out, you never know what's going on inside you. You really don't. Uh, the youngest victim of the lost plane, this is Wang Miyong, who's pictured in the paper today. Uh, he was uh, among the 239 passengers killed when the flight was taken on a last deadly joyride. That's what we're thinking it is. If they find bits of this plane, well, then we'll be a little bit nearer trying to unravel what was going through the pilot's mind. Still plenty more to come on your Thursday morning early breakfast show on LBC with Steve Allen. It's lovely to have your company. It's the day after the big LBC debate. The first YouGov poll told us that the public thought Nigel Farage had won. So there'll be plenty of reaction from last night's event on the morning news with Lisa Aziz and on breakfast with Nick Ferrari. And, of course, it's called Clegg again today. So we get two days of Mr Clegg. We've got all the papers in the studio. I'll wander through them and do the front pages. More and more people are eating sandwiches in Britain as they can't cook. Wait a minute, that's a direct slur against me. I like, I like a sandwich, not because I can't cook. Producer likes a sandwich as well. The, the bridge player who died after playing a monster game winning hand and an app created to help alcoholics stay off the wagon. From LBC, this is Steve Allen. That's all next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Well, you're pretty five past six Thursday morning, the day after the big LBC debate. It's all over the papers, and you can catch up with it on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. If you didn't, if you didn't see it or you didn't hear it yesterday, and you can make up your own mind who you think won. Most of you seem to think Nigel Farage. That's what you, the great British public, are saying. Plenty of reaction on the morning news with Lisa Aziz today, and on breakfast with Nick Ferrari, and it's called Clegg again. So he's going to be talking about that experience yesterday. Uh, more and more people eat sandwiches because they can't cook. It's not complicated, is it, really? I don't think so. The app created to help alcoholics stay on the wagon and the gadget giveaway. It's all this morning, between now and half past six. It's interesting that Kylie Minogue is in the papers today. She dropped a contestant from The Voice. I haven't, to be honest with you, I'm, I have to hold my hands up and tell you that I know what The Voice is... I understand it's got a little American singer on there called William, and I believe it's got a little Welsh boy from the valley, it's called Tom Jones, and I believe it's got uh, Kylie Minogue. And they sit in chairs and they listen to people singing, and they don't know what they look like. Well, that makes a difference, I've got no idea. Anyway, she dropped a contestant over fears he'd begun to stalk her. The Aussie coach began to have doubts about this man when he began to behave like a besotted fan. And alarm bells started ringing when he claimed in celebrity magazines that they were actually dating each other. Oh dear, oh dear, they always find these people, don't they? Anyway, Kylie insisted on booting him off the show as his obsessions got out of hand. He then claimed she dumped him. 
Oh dear, sorry, you don't need that kind of thing, do you? There's no point in having another loony in your life, there's probably more than enough there. She says, I'm sure Leo will be flirting with everybody else now. Well, he's hoping for his little five seconds of, of fame. And that's just about it, I'm afraid. It's, you know, it doesn't last any further. He's obviously hoping that it's going to last a little bit longer. It's a bit like Gwyneth Paltrow. Was it a snog that she gave to somebody else that effectively, you know, was the last straw? We know that for the last year, and I don't know why I'm telling you this, because I'm really not remotely interested in the, in the, uh, the comings and goings of people's, people's marriage. Especially people I couldn't really care less about. I don't know why it's got so much coverage in the newspapers. It's almost like they're obsessed with, with writing about Gwyneth Paltrow, and, and I, can't, I can't personally see what it is. I just don't, I don't understand what the fascination is. Uh, 84850, steve at So the X Factor, Simon Cowell, attended the musical last night, and he's given his blessing to the send-up. Well, of course he has. He's, it's his company, Psycho, that's producing it. So he'd have to, if, if the, if the programme portrayed him in a light. I think Simon Cowell is more than, than big enough, and he's got shoulders broad enough to have a show take the mickey out of him. Because that's, that's what would be expected. You know, he actually plays along with it. He enjoys things like that. But uh, he, he could laugh all the way to the bank on this one. If it's the hit. But see, the trouble is, it's interesting. What you've, what you've got to think about with all these shows in, in all these theatres, and it doesn't matter whether it's Simon Cowell or Bill Kenwright or Andrew Lloyd Webber or Tim Rice. I mean, if you notice recently, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber both had flops. Both their shows closed because the public weren't interested. You've got to find something that the public is interested in. And it's not just us in London... It's the whole. It's you in the whole country. You've got to go to your local people, and there'll be coach, you know, companies going right. We're doing a trip to I can't sing, and you come down to London on the coach. They get special deals, and it fills the theatre up. It's a huge theatre. It's a barn of a place. And so, if you've got a big show that costs a lot of money, and it's a big company, and it's got Nigel Harmon, who can't be cheap, and the sets aren't cheap, and the costumes. And it's all about something that you see on the television. It's taking the mickey out. That's why poor old Cheryl Cole, bless her heart. I mean, you know, as Dame Edna would say, if you can't laugh at yourself, Cheryl, you're probably missing the joke of the century. And so there she is. They, they, they take the mickey out of her. Dermot O'Dreary doesn't do at all well, I'm afraid. They, they unmercifully pull him apart. The man who, who actually uh, portrays him has got, according to Louis Walsh, him off to a T. And so it's good. Simon has got a very... Very thick skin. He's not remotely bothered. Imagine all the stuff that's been thrown at Simon Cowell over the years. Do you think he's going to seriously bother about uh, a show which his company is putting on? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Other guests included Richard Desmond, who went, Alicia Dixon, even Lord Lloyd Webber went, and lovely Amanda Holden. So uh, it's the latest thing. But what, what Sunita was wearing, I beggar's belief. It looks lovely, but I'm not sure if it was totally appropriate for that. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. You've got about 20 minutes to get your entries in for the gadget competition. Uh, they say a Mother's Day scorcher. Is it Mother's Day this Sunday? Mother's Day this Sunday. So this is the time when you're supposed to go and buy a card and a box of chocolates and some daffodils. I don't, don't quite understand Mother's Day. I don't know why you have to have that one day where you, where you just go and sort of do nice things for your, uh, for your mother. Uh... Mark and Lee Green says, every time we saw a funeral hearse with a coffin, we had to hold our collar until we saw a four-legged animal, a cat or a dog. I think you've been drinking, actually, early this morning. I've never heard of that one in my entire life, and I think I know practically every single superstition. Uh, it was Diana who performed the renaming ceremony of the station on the Great Northern Main Line at Wood Green to Alexandra Palace, not far from where I live, in 82, two years before she died. And David said, did you get the copy of Swinging Doors? You seem to be a big fan. No, I'm just interested, because I was, I was so interested in her, in her son. 
when he came in, because it was so touching that nothing had changed. Nothing had changed in the house. He'd gone back, she'd been dead for a number of years, and the, and everything was the same. That I found interesting, that it was almost a shrine to Diana Dawes. It's like if you, if you go up on the, uh, heading up to, um, I can't remember what it's called now, you go up to uh, Ealing Common, and on the way up there, there's a blue plaque on a house. And it's Sid James's house. And you look at them and you think, now in that day, in the day when he was around, that would have been absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. The other story that is um, slightly disturbing this morning is uh, the brother of one of soldier Lee Rigby's murderers sparking fury by blaming his whole life sentence on a hatred of Islam. In a BBC interview, Jeremiah uh, Adipajali claimed the judge bowed to public pressure when ruling his brother should die behind bars. Quite clearly, very stupid man. Very stupid, very ignorant Unfortunately, his comments have triggered fury. He says that the murderer would lead a productive life with his family if he was set free. Sadly not, I'm afraid, dear. Sadly not. It's not going to be happening any time soon. One thing that is going to be happening soon is Amy Winehouse is going to go on tour. Yes, you did hear correctly. Amy Winehouse, they say, in the uh, in the future is going to tour as a hologram. They reckon, I mean, I don't know how possible this would be. We've had Elvis Presley performing with his band on stage, so I see no reason why Amy Winehouse couldn't. They say a billionaire businessman who created a hologram of the dead rapper Tupac Shakur for a music festival is behind the project. He revealed to a court in America he plans to world tour and hopes her taxi driver dad, Mitch, will join the image on stage to introduce her biggest hits. God's got disaster stamped all over it, hasn't it? What an odd thing to do. Very, very strange thing. Mind you, the other strange thing is looking at a picture of Jack Dugworth in the paper today. He's been immortalised in plastic, whatever it is that they use in Madame Tussauds, wax, I think. And he's standing next to Vera, the real Vera. She, she's very much alive, although we thought we'd lost her a while ago. And he's immortalised in wax in Madame Tussauds. Well, it's uncanny. He's absolutely perfect. He is abs- it's almost as if... They've had him embalmed and they brought him back and she's standing next to him. She said, even to this day, she said, I still miss him. Should I carry a picture of him? And when you go to Madame Two Swords and you see these waxworks, I mean, I remember standing next to the Alan Titchmarsh one. Well, you'd be hard pressed to think that this thing wasn't actually living and breathing. They're, they're so good. Every little bit of stubble, every little bit of, you know, have they shaved? No, every, everything. It is so perfect. It is so perfect. And, and very, very... Very, very scary at the same time. We had Anton Deck down at the Daily Mail show in wax when we did a live programme from there some years ago. And I remember looking at them and I was waiting for them to go, boo, like that. You, it, would, it would have frightened me because they're so realistic. Before, I, I used to think that the one in, in Blackpool was terrible. But if you look in the Daily Star today on page 21 and you look at a picture of, of Jack, it is absolutely perfect. I've got no idea. And here's an odd thing. I've got no idea what they look like with their clothes off. Do you know what I mean? It's, I, I know what they look like because the actors, or whoever it is, the, the celebrity who's being immortalised in wax, gives them their, their clothes, so they've got genuine clothes. But underneath the clothes, what do they look like? I mean, are they, are they perfect? All the, you know, I'm not, I don't know. Or perhaps they look like an action man when they've taken, you, you know, you take your action man clothes off. I think I'm going down the wrong road here. I have a horrible feeling I'm heading down a little cul-de-sac. Uh, and the cigarette ban that might or might not happen. The cigarette ban. More on that coming up. I think it's in an effort to stop people dying of cancer and save the NHS an awful lot of money. 14 minutes past six. McFrary and the team with you this morning, fresh from the historic LBC debate. The Deputy Prime Minister will be taking your calls on an unmissable call, Clegg, because the 
Uh, political pundits are saying, and you're saying, that you thought that Farage won the debate. So it'll be very interesting to find out. Nick will be getting reaction from key political commentators, and getting reports from across the country, and Berlin. Joining him to look at the papers today, it's Michael Portillo, the journalist, broadcaster and former Conservative Party politician and Cabinet Minister, will be live in the studio. Plus they'll be talking to, I think, Paddy Ashdown, and uh, then, of course, it's Call Clegg a little bit later on, so I can't wait to see how that one's going to pan out. Uh, Plus, they're talking about domestic abuse. This is how lots of cases don't get reported, they don't get followed up, and women are now reluctant to... to to actually go forwards and come forward and report domestic abuse. Um, They're also going to be looking at Earl's Court. I'm assuming, is this the fact that they're going to turn Earl's Court into something else? Can't think of anything worse. Can't think of anything worse. And I must thank um, Brian Sibley and David Weeks... Very much indeed, because uh, uh, they've made me a friend of the Cartoon Museum, which you remember I raved about the other day because they have the Spitting Image exhibition at the moment. And it's hilarious to see and to watch some of the bits again with Steve Nallen doing his impression of Margaret Thatcher. And considering how long ago they were done, it's amazing how they stand up today. You still laugh at some of the bits where you look at the puppets. Each show was so expensive. I think that was probably its demise in the end, about £200,000 per show. So uh, Brian Sibley and David Weeks obviously decided to be a friend of the Cartoon Museum is the ideal birthday present, and it absolutely is. So my thanks uh, to them, and I shall look forward to going again. It's in um, Little Russell Street. Little Russell Street. Actually, you can't miss it, because around the corner there's, uh, there's an historic dairy, which is now um, a pizza place. But it was, it was a very famous place, I think, probably in the late 1800s. Late 1800s. You've got uh, seven minutes, seven minutes left to get your entries in for the gadget competition for today. It's the Apple iPad Mini. Yesterday, we had a touchscreen laptop, and Kathleen Duggan from Woodford Green got that one. So today, the Apple iPad Mini with Retina display to give away. And uh, so one lucky listener will win it. But you need to know the answer to this question and enter the competition in the way I shall inform you. On what reality TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? On what reality TV show did Susan Boyle first appear? To enter the competition, you text the word gadget, G-A-D-G-E-T, then your answer, and you send it to 84850 before 6.30 this morning, so you need... Don't don't leave it until 6.30, because the text costs pound fifty plus your standard network rate, and if you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but you may still be charged. We play across the LBC network, full terms and conditions, online at lbc.co.uk. So if you get a, fancy getting your hands on my Apple iPad Mini with a retina display, first of all, work out which reality show Susan Boyle appeared, and then enter the competition, but make sure you do it now and don't leave it too late. Uh, we'll just go through the uh, the front pages of the papers in uh, one minute's time. Some more of your uh, text. Talk Talk took over AOL years ago. They took over... Yes, I, I, I got a, a text message from Talk Talk the other day saying, can we help you with anything? Uh, so that was good. They took over Tiscali and had... Uh, I had no connection for months, says Paul. I'll mail you the director's email later. It seemed to speed things up. Went with BT, no hassle. It's the most complained about provider, strangely enough, in the papers today. He said, most providers go via BT Openreach, which is a hassle, as your provider has to contact them to get the line fixed. Well, they, they, it was all done um, via Calcutta, I think, this time round. And uh, very grateful I was, too. Very, very grateful. Uh, the Daily Star, front page day, kiss that split. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris, the, the utterly boring story of the decade. Uh, the Daily Mail, official 
Beware house price bubble. Britain is on the verge of a dangerous housing bubble, they say. Around our area, in West London, they're building like there's no tomorrow. Seriously, they're even converting offices all over the place. It's the messiest sight you've ever seen, and the rubbish. They seem to be coating the front of the building with polystyrene and cutting it so you've got snow all over the place. But now they're saying that soaring property prices are being inflated by speculators banking on further gains. as according to Robert Choate, who heads the Office for Budget Responsibility. The average price of a home in London is expected to jump from... £458,000 to £650,000 over the next six years. That's the average price. If you're listening in Scotland or Liverpool at the moment, you're probably going, good grief. That's the average. You can get cheaper property, but believe you me, there's a, there's a huge gap at the moment. Uh, Amanda Holden on the front of the Express today, dazzling. She was out there for the X Factor musical, I Can't Sing. Got some really great reviews. Quentin Letts loves it. He gives it 65% chance of surviving. Because it's, it's, it's a difficult business in the West End, but uh, my producer's going to go and see it tonight. Uh, the Sun have got Out in the Cold Play, Chris Cropped Frozen from Gwyneth Paltrow's Life. The Mirror, Cowell's musical, has the X Factor, but sadly, poor Cheryl Cole just couldn't make it. She's far too busy thinking she's a recording artist. And uh, Dermot O'Dreary couldn't make it either. He's obviously far too busy thinking they'll be laughing at me, because he doesn't come over too well in it. He's not portrayed too well. Love Split, Gwyneth. I'm no cheat. This is the uh, ridiculous claims that have been put around, as if it's anybody's business, on uh, whether or not she's had three affairs. Her and Chris have been on the rocks for years. They did try and uh, get it back together. The Daily Telegraph are running with millions paying way too much for energy. And Diana Dawes and her swinging sex parties, which I explained a little bit earlier on this morning, I was well aware of. And you'll have to uh, podcast the programme if you want to hear more about that. Uh, Nigel Farage Sean is the headline in the Daily Telegraph. Uh, I don't mean his debating skills, I mean his skin. Uh, did he have nerves or what? The uh, sketch writer, Michael Deacon, is talking about it. And uh, the presenter, Nick Ferrari, addressed viewers and listeners at home. He said, you've waited decades for this debate uh, with just the gentlest tint of hyperbole. Front page of The Independent today. Yes, you remember, actually, was it uh, Lembit Opic who complained the other day that somebody had thrown coloured paint over him? This is, uh, this is all to do with an Indian festival where they do throw coloured paint, it's powder paint, over somebody. And he's sort of, he's not really having a lot of luck, I'm afraid, is poor old Lembidopic. Everything has collapsed. His political career has collapsed. His relationship has collapsed. His singing career collapsed. His comedic career never took off. In other words, he's just a man wandering about very lost at the moment. The Times, the pressure on Cameron, Cameron to expel jobless EU migrants. And the 30 best places for a weekend retreat. And uh, no doubt you'll have them. Uh, when you pick up the paper a little bit later on. And finally, 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 inside the front page of the... Uh, can't even open the paper this morning. The Metro this morning, it's a picture of obesity. This is the bodybuilder I told you about on LBC this morning. If you want to listen to the LBC debate, that's on the LBC podcast channel on the LBC special podcast list. I'm back tomorrow from four. You can download the app now. Later on LBC, Nick Ferrari's here from seven with breakfast. Next, Lisa Aziz with the morning news.